Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Ritman Grace Podcast. We hope that it will encourage you as you seek to follow God and grow in your faith. If you would like to know more about our church, you can check us out at www.ritmangrace.org or feel free to email us at ritmangbc at aol.com. But for right now, let's get into today's message. Well, good morning again. We are going to uh, continue our sermon series that we have been in in the Ten Commandments. And I've been really having a lot of fun uh, studying these with you. Uh, Just to recap a little bit, if you are just now uh, joining us for this sermon series in the Ten Commandments, we're actually, I believe, at uh, week six now. So we are uh, past the the middle point, and we are just uh, heading towards finishing this up. So if if this is your first time jumping in on this study with us, then you uh, really have missed uh, quite a few weeks. So I encourage you to go back and uh, go to our website, Ritman Grace. Dot org and you can get all caught up with all those. So uh, the first week, though, we just kind of did an introduction and laid the foundation, did a lot of groundwork saying there's a lot of misconceptions with the Ten Commandments. A lot of people view the Ten Commandments as something that's constraining, uh, something that's restricting, but they're actually given from a God of liberation. Uh, we read in the book of Exodus how God liberated his people Israel from their Egyptian captivity, and he's given them the Ten Commandments from a place of Uh, liberation. And God does the same thing for Christ followers today. Uh, Just as God had liberated the uh, Israelites from their captivity and slavery in Egypt, God liberates his followers today uh, through the conquering of Satan, sin, and death through his son Jesus. And so uh, what an amazing thing that we have, the Ten Commandments, and we get to actually view those uh, through the lens of the other side of the cross. And so that's been a lot of fun doing that with you. Uh, We do come to week seven today, which is the sixth commandment, Uh, You shall not murder, which uh, many people, even people that aren't church people, are familiar with uh, this commandment to not murder. And I'll tell you, I strongly believe that uh, God in his sovereignty knew that we would come to the sixth commandment, you shall not murder, uh, just six days after another horrific mass shooting that left seven human beings dead. And I think a tragedy like that, it does a couple things in our national dialogue. Uh, On the one hand, tragedies like mass shootings unite us around the teaching of the Sixth Commandment uh, because there's a sense in which when we see the ugliness and the horror of of murder and the murderer, uh, there's a sense in which we all rise up together and we say that this is wrong and we do not want this. And thank God that we're against that. Thank God that we're opposed to that. But the second thing you'll notice on the heels of a violent tragedy like that is that we begin to immediately put the murderer in a different category, right? Uh, There's this us versus them polarization that begins to take place, and we tend to think and say things such as, well, this person was capable of this kind of act because they are in a different category than the rest of us. They're uniquely depraved. Uh, Perhaps they're mentally ill. There's something beyond, something above, something in them that is present in them and not in the rest of us. And I think there's a couple things to say about that. On one level, I think we can honestly say that there's some truth in that, right? I don't know every one of you, I know most people in the room today, but I don't know the uniqueness of everyone's story here today. But here's what I can say really broadly, with great confidence. I don't believe 
uh, anybody in this room today would go to a July 4th parade and start shooting people. So there is a sense in which the level of evil that is present and that rightly makes some of us say, you know, something is unique about this individual, unique about this situation. But on the other hand, there's something we need to acknowledge that if we, if, if our morality allows us, um, if all our morality allows us to do is to point fingers at other people, then this is not the morality of Jesus. Uh, the Bible asks us to look more deeply. The Bible gives us the freedom as well as the capacity to point to evil and to call it evil, but it also asks us to ask the harder questions about ourselves, too. And the Bible invites us to step back and say, in what ways are we more like the killer than we would like to admit? In what ways is that capacity present in us? And if we don't ask those hard questions, then we're not living out the morality of the Ten Commandments and the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to this quote by J.I. Packer. I thought it was really helpful for me, and I think it might be helpful for you as well. He's writing on the Sixth Commandment, and he says this, We have in us capacities for fury, fear, envy, greed, conceit, callousness, and hate that given the right provocation could make killers out of us all. I think that's really wisely worded. He says we have in us the capacities for these kind of things. And given the right provocation, those capacities can find expressions in really destructive ways. Do you believe that? In other words, have you explored these capacities in yourself? That's what the Sixth Commandment invites us into. So that's the journey that I would like to invite us into this morning. I want to explore together, number one, the explicit teaching of the Sixth Commandment, what it explicitly teaches. But then, secondly, I want to look with you today at, secondly, the implicit teaching of the Sixth Commandment, kind of what's beneath the surface. And together, let's just receive this as God's invitation in the wake of a very public national tragedy to enter in more deeply to a reflection in our own souls and a reflection on the human condition. So let's look first at, number one, the explicit teaching of the Sixth Commandment. If you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn with me to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, we're looking at verse 13 today, which simply says, You shall not murder. You shall not murder. If you take this verse, and if you shove it back in the original Hebrew language, what we have here is actually a two-word commandment that simply means, you shall not murder. And it's a very uh, particular commandment. The Hebrew language has no less than eight different words for killing. And this particular word, uh, the verb rasah, it's never used in a legal context or in relation to a war or military or in relation to hunting, or sportsmanship, or killing of animals, this word specifically refers to the unlawful killing of a human being. Uh, one commentator says this about the word rasah. He says, rasah does not address killing in warfare or within a legal penalty system, but focuses on private killing of personal enemies. 
This is why, if depending on the translation you have of your Bible, uh, the ESV or the NIV translates this word, you shall not murder, uh, which is a little bit more specific in, in the uh, English word rather than the King James, which will say you shall not kill. There's a nuance that involves intent. There's a nuance that involves personal animosity. So the question is, why does God give us this commandment? At first, it seems kind of obvious, but why is it a sin to murder another human being? The answer to that question goes all the way back to the beginning in Genesis chapter 1. We are not to murder another human being because human beings are uniquely made as God's image bearers. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, the Bible clearly says, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. There's been a lot of ink spilt throughout the centuries framing out all the Bible means when talking about the image of God. And there's a depth and there's a richness, there's a fullness that uh, honestly we cannot do justice to it this morning. I wish we had the time for it. But very simply stated, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. Human life is different and distinct from every other kind of life. Human life is different and distinct from every other kind of life. Plants do not bear the image of God. The animal kingdom does not bear the image of God. Microbes do not bear the image of God. We are commanded to honor and protect and to cherish human life because human beings bear the image of God. I mean, just slow down and ponder that for a moment. That's a staggering thought. Every person that you have ever met, every child, every elderly person, everyone who is like you, everyone who is unlike you, those who are similar to you culturally, linguistically, those who are very different from you culturally and linguistically, those who have tremendous capacity for things like reason, and those who find capacities limited for various reasons. Every human being bears the image of God. It's a staggering thought. And that's the theological foundation behind the Sixth Commandment. We are to guard, we are to protect, we are to cherish and honor human beings because human beings bear God's image. So let's think a little bit more specifically now of the kind of things that the Sixth Commandment prohibits. Let's try to bring this down to the real ground-level realities of our modern world. It's pretty obvious that the Sixth Commandment prohibits murder, as we normally would think about that. Uh, what happened in the Highland Park uh, Fourth of July parade and instances like that, very obviously the Sixth Commandment speaks to that. But there's at least three things that we face in modern world that the Sixth Commandment expressly and explicitly prohibits. So let me try to frame these out for you. The first thing that the Sixth Commandment prohibits is abortion. And I want to walk really gently here because my guess is for some of you this is part of your story. Or maybe you know someone that this is very much part of their story. But I want you to hear the good and beautiful news of the Gospel. The reality that Jesus forgives that Jesus heals, that Jesus cleanses, and that Jesus makes new. 
So if this is part of your story, if you have sought an abortion, if you have pressured someone else to seek an abortion, if you have participated in the evil of abortion in some way, I want you to know that you don't have to hide from that. And I want you to, I don't, you don't have to hold on to that. You can be brought into the forgiveness and the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ into a community of people who have found freedom. But that freedom only comes from acknowledging and confessing the sin that lies behind that. The freedom that only comes from acknowledging that, Jesus, I've broken the sixth commandment. I've been involved in the taking of a human life, and I need you to forgive me. I want you to know that there are people in the church of Jesus Christ who have walked that road, and they can testify to the deep freedom and forgiveness that they have found in the mercy of Jesus Christ. So please hear that first. But I also want you to know that as we talk about the Sixth Commandment, we must talk about abortion because it is the most grievous violation of the Sixth Commandment in our culture today. It's the place where we as Americans, broadly speaking, have decided that we have a pass on the Sixth Commandment. Since 1973, over 53 million abortions have been performed in the United States. Just to give you a scope of reference, that's equivalent to the entire population of South Korea. If all the babies were alive that were aborted in the United States of America, they would make up the 25th largest country in the world. There are over 2,000 abortions performed every day in our country. One out of every five pregnancies ends in abortion. This grieves the heart of God, and it should grieve us. So I want us to be a church because we treasure God's commandments. We stand mercifully, gently, kindly, yet firmly opposed to abortion. And that we would feel the need and the call, the invitation to work and to bring this to an end in our society and to help people understand the implications of the Sixth Commandment for this particular issue in the world. So the first thing that the Sixth Commandment speaks to, in addition to kinds of murder that we see like in the July 4th shooting, is abortion. And the second sensitive issue that this speaks to is the issue of suicide. If the person that you want to murder is yourself, that doesn't make it okay. So I want you to hear, for those of you who struggle with despair, for those of you who have dark thoughts, for those of you who find yourself thinking, maybe the world would be better off without me. I want you to hear the sixth commandment as God's grace to you this morning. Here's what I can tell you, having walked alongside of people pastorally in these moments of despair. I know that sometimes it feels overwhelming and impossible to tackle all the feelings and all of the darkness and all the despair and all the hurt and all the pain and all the confusion and the lies underneath all that, sometimes it just feels overwhelming to try and deal with all of that. And in those moments, I want you to hear that God invites you to focus on obedience and just say, I'm going to choose to obey the sixth commandment. You shall not murder. That's God's grace to you. So again, if this is your struggle, I want you to know that there are most likely people in this room who have lived your story and are willing to walk with you in the midst of that. The Sixth Commandment speaks to abortion, it speaks to suicide, but then thirdly, euthanasia. 
um, assisted suicide. It's sometimes called uh, early termination of life. We have to understand the biblical worldview is pro-life from womb to tomb, so to say. The Bible wants us to have such a high view of human life that we honor it from its beginning to its ending. Only God gives life and only God may take life. That's what the Sixth Commandment says to us. The issue of euthanasia is not going away in our culture. It's always going to remain a live topic. I understand we have a good handful of people in our church who have or currently do work in the medical field. And I want you to hear the Sixth Commandment as God's invitation to you to let his command speak to the world of medical ethics. That you're commanded to be an ambassador for life. You're commanded to care about life remaining until God chooses to take it. But let me just say this to you, because there's an important distinction that we have to make. There is a difference between taking life and allowing life to end. There is a difference between taking life and allowing life to end. The complexity that we face in our modern world is that because of technology and the capacity to prolong life indefinitely, right? You have a machine to breathe for you. You can have a machine to eat for you. You can have a machine pump your heart for you. So it is possible for us to prolong life for us in ways that we, it was impossible to do in ages prior to ours. And some of you may face this challenge because you're going to have the responsibility of, and the opportunity perhaps to care for someone who is aging or dying. You're going to have to wrestle with these questions. When it comes to euthanasia, the sixth commandment prohibits the taking of life. If you choose to not to continue heroic life-saving technology, if you choose to allow someone to go ahead and die rather than keeping them alive artificially, that's not a violation of the sixth commandment. It is a violation of the sixth commandment if you say, I have terminal cancer, I know that I'm going to die in a year anyway, so let's just end it now. That's not okay. And these conversations are very much alive in our culture. So three things the Sixth Commandment explicitly prohibits, abortion, suicide, euthanasia. So we need to start by speaking about those things because they lie very much on the surface of this commandment and they're very live issues in our culture all the time. And for those of us that are here this morning in this room, these touch every one of us in personal ways because of our own story, because of the people that we're walking with through life. So I want to look now at the implicit teaching of the Sixth Commandment. We looked at the explicit teaching. Now let's look at the implicit teaching. Uh, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 5 if you have a Bible. Here we find Jesus speaking the commandments of God. Matthew chapter 5, this is his famous Sermon on the Mount. Again, Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 21, Jesus Christ says this, You have heard that it is said to the people long ago, You shall not murder. Anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka is answerable to the court. Anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, 
And then remember that your brother or sister has something against you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. See, what we see here is Jesus is offering us commentary on the sixth commandment. He quotes it explicitly, and it's important for us to understand that Jesus is not here introducing something new. He's not here bringing us into something that did not exist before. Rather, he is taking us into the full scope of the sixth commandment. Jesus is showing us that the sin of murder begins in the seed of malice. The sin of murder begins in the seed of malice. That's what Jesus wants us to see. What is malice? Well, malice is a word that refers to the longing to see someone harmed, right? The desire to inflict suffering or harm or injury. And Jesus is saying here, what becomes murder always begins with malice in the heart. So Jesus is not saying something that the sixth commandment does not say. Jesus is showing us that this is what the Sixth Commandment has always had in mind. The Sixth Commandment was not, it, it, was always, it was always about not just what you do with your hands, but it's also what's going on in your heart. The Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. If we want to obey the sixth commandment, we have to put away malice. We have to deal with the root of murder in the soul. See how the sixth commandment presses deeper? Jesus is saying to you, that's good that you haven't pulled the trigger. I mean, that's meaningful. But have you confronted the malice that's in your heart? Have you been honest about the things that lie inside of you that don't get expressed by God's grace. So what do you do with this commandment? I want to ask you to step back with me this morning, and I want to ask you to do some soul work. I want to ask you a question. Who would you like to see suffer? Who would you like to see suffer? Who, whose misfortune would you delight in? Who is there in your life that you've known deep down in your soul that something harmful happened to them, and you find that in some ways satisfying. I imagine for some of you here today, that question may not surface anything at all. But for some of you, many of us, you know exactly who that is. Someone has come to mind. It's probably somebody that you don't want to think about. Someone you have suffered horrendous things at the hands of other people. Some of you have. Some of you have been victims of someone else's sin against you in ways that you could not control and could not fight back against, and you found yourself powerless to stop it. And when that happened, that person's sin against you also planted the poison of malice in your heart. And that's just the nature of what happens when you're sinned against. And Jesus wants you to identify that, and Jesus wants you to acknowledge that that's there. But here's what I want you to hear. That's normal. But it's not okay. It can't stay there because it's going to destroy you. It's going to drain away your capacity for love, for joy, for peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those things cannot reach their full expressions in your soul when the poison of malice is within you. So what Jesus invites us to is he, is, he wants to drain the poison of malice out of your heart.
And he does that through his death. So I want to talk with you about a part of the gospel that perhaps you've heard about, perhaps you've never thought about it. When Jesus hung on the cross, he was dying there, not just for your sins, but for the sins that have affected you, the sins that have been done to you. He was not just dying for the sins that you committed. He was dying for the effects of the sins that's been done to you. He's bearing the cross, on the cross, the shame and the indignity and the humiliation of the things that have been done to you. And he's absorbing all of that into himself. And he's taking it with him into the grave. And he's rising to bring new life to your soul and healing to your body. And listen, the gospel doesn't just end with the cross. The gospel ends with new creation. Jesus is not just the Savior who dies for sin. He's also the judge who is coming again to set the world right. The good news of the gospel is not merely that Jesus, as he hung on the cross, absorbing the shame, humiliation, and the pain of what's been done to you, he's also coming back to carry out his vengeance in the world and to set everything right. How can you get rid of malice in your heart? By trusting Jesus. Not simply trusting his death on the cross for your sins, but trusting him that he really is going to bring about justice and judgment and retribution and full reckoning for everything that's ever been done in the world. The Apostle Paul encourages us by saying this in Romans chapter 12, verse 19, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. How is malice in our hearts drained away? When we entrust vengeance to Jesus. It's saying, Jesus, this is yours to deal with. I trust you to make things right. Paul will continue saying in Romans 12, verse 20, To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The gospel is the good news that you don't have to be overcome by evil. Only the gospel can melt and diffuse and drain away the malice that's in our hearts. Because only the gospel is the good news of a God who takes sin so seriously that he gave his own life to deal with it. And he will not by any means let the guilty go unpunished. So I want you to hear that as good news today. But let's go even deeper with this. The sixth commandment does not only forbid the sin of murder, it adjoins us positively to seek the good of our neighbors and even our enemies. John Calvin says it this way, The Lord has willed that we reverence his image imprinted in man and embrace our own flesh in him. He who has merely refrained from shedding blood has not therefore avoided the crime of murder. Unless you endeavor to look out for your neighbor's safety, according to your ability and opportunity, you're violating the law. J.I. Packer puts it this way, We honor God by respecting his image in each other, which means consistently preserving life furthering each other's welfare in all possible ways. So I'm not just supposed to avoid murdering you. I'm to further your welfare however I can. Listen to Romans chapter 13. This is, in the New Testament, this is probably the simplest summary of the Ten Commandments. 
Paul says in Romans chapter 13, 8 through 10, Owe no one nothing except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not murder, you shall, or you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. Any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is fulfilling, is a fulfilling of the law. So the fulfilling of the sixth commandment looks like this. Loving my neighbor as myself. Do you see how much harder that is than don't murder? This is one of those commandments that we hear, and David mentioned it earlier. We first hear the sixth commandment, we think, okay, check, I'm good on that. I haven't murdered anybody this week. But then as you go deeper, you realize that God is actually asking, what he's actually asking of you is love my neighbor as myself. And that's really hard. Seek the welfare of those around you as much as is in your power and opportunity to do so. That's really challenging. But that's the vision of the Sixth Commandment. That's the vision that the Sixth Commandment invites us into. So imagine with me what it would look like if we would be a people of God, right? Just written in grace. What if we began saying, by the grace of God, empowered by the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, we want to seek the good of people around us as much as we possibly can. What if we said that? What if we said we want to further human flourishing and welfare however we can do that? We want to be out for the good of one another in whatever ways that we can do that. What if we said we want to advance human dignity in our community however we can do that? Church, that would, that would change the city that we live in. If we just started with our own church, even, and sought to live that way, it would change the dynamic of our community with one another. That's the vision that the Sixth Commandment invites us into. That's what Jesus died to make possible. And that's what the Holy Spirit lives in us to empower. Not that we would just avoid obvious sin of murdering one another, but that we would be invited into a life that seeks the good of others, that seeks to love our neighbors as ourselves. And that we would go deeply enough into the gospel for that to happen. Because let's be honest, if all I'm doing is trying to avoid pulling the trigger to murder someone, I don't have to go very deeply into the gospel, right? In fact, the fear of the consequences will oftentimes keep you from that. But as soon as I say, what does it mean to seek the good of my neighbor in every possible way? Guess what? I need Jesus. I need the grace and the power of the Holy Spirit. I need repentance from sin. I need a deeper and fuller love that I don't possibly have. I need nothing less than the love of Christ for others infused into me so that I might love them and serve them in ways that God wants me to. There's a bigger ask, and that demands a way bigger grace. And that's what the Sixth Commandment points us to. So what would it look like, by the grace of God, if we became a people who lived out the full meaning of the commandment, you shall not murder. Not only would we avoid obvious sin and destruction of murder, but we would be a community where there is life and there's beauty and there's meaning and there's wholeness and flourishing and joy in ways that the world has never seen. So let's pray and ask God to accomplish that. Will you join me? Well, Jesus... We just ask you that you would release us from the anger and malice that's in our hearts.
Will you please fill us with your love and make us like you? Fill us with the capacity to love our neighbors as ourselves, to love our families and our communities through us. We have every confidence that you're listening and you're answering these prayers, Jesus. We trust you with these things. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Ritman Grace Podcast. If you have questions or would like to know more about our church, please visit www.ritmangrace.org or email us at ritmangbc at aol.com.